S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 2, Episode 17, originally aired on March 26, 1977. Hello, welcome to SN Hell, your look back through Saturday Night Live. My name is Keith. I am one of the hosts. With me, as always, is the other host, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hey, Keith. Happy Saturday night. You too, my friend. You too. And uh, with us tonight, a uh, third chair, it's Rebecca. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, Keith. Hey, Matt. Hi. So, full disclosure to the thousands, um, because we're an honest, open podcast, mm-hmm. um, we had some audio troubles. We did record this the other night. Um, and had uh, some audio troubles, some software troubles. It was just one of these Murphy's Law nights. So, you know, 80%, 90% of this episode is going to be recording from them. So if there's some slight changes in audio and such like that, uh, that's why that's happening. So thanks, Matt and Rebecca, for uh, for coming back to do some pickups here. It's live TV, baby. Anything can happen. <laughs> Happy to do it. So uh, tonight we have Jack Burns, we have Carlos Santana, well actually Santana, difference being Carlos is the guy, no Carlos is the band. Uh, Jack Burns, do either of you know much about Jack Burns prior to our last, you know, recording session? Zilch. Zilch. (laughs) Nope, not a thing. Jack Burns, born in Boston. Uh, Nowadays he's not a, a household name, but so much of what he did is is well known today and people he worked with and stuff his fingerprints are all over tv comedy he was an early comedy partner with george carlin uh they were a team for a while and released at least one record together and then later with avery schreiber who he met during his uh stint at second city lauren michaels was a writer for burns and schreiber show uh, Jack Burns, he had uh, guest bits on a lot of uh, different shows. He was the head writer of Hee Haw. At this point in time, he was the head writer for The Muppet Show. Um, and uh, Matt, I, I don't, I know Rebecca and I talked about this, and she said she didn't remember it. But uh, do you remember Fridays, the, the, the Saturday Night Live sort of knockoff called Fridays? I remember it very vaguely. I remember it existed. And I remember uh, a few things that Larry David worked on Fridays, right? He did, yes. Uh, so I, I'm aware of it. I, I don't think I've seen an episode, but I, I've seen like a few stills maybe. Do you know the uh, the sort of the one thing on Fridays that people always talk about? The the most famous clip. What is it? Andy Kaufman refusing to do a sketch and uh, the producers and all that stuff come out and there's a bit of a brawl. Okay. Jack Burns is the guy that actually comes out from backstage as the producer on Fridays and sort of scuffles with Andy. Yeah, Burns, writer, producer, and uh, on-air announcer for Friday. So this guy's really been everywhere. You know, a lot of the stuff that's come down to us has been as a writer. He also had the unfortunate uh, position in television history of being the one to be called in to replace Don Knotts on The Andy Griffith Show when Barney Fife left. Um, I think he only lasted 11 episodes. Those are big shoes to fill back at the back in the day. I would sure imagine. Yeah, yeah. So let's jump right to the show. So we have our cold open, and it's John Belushi in a kitchen setting, and he's enjoying a cup of coffee. He talks about being asked to do the uh, the cold open. Says he has a bad reputation around NBC as a troublemaker, and uh, NBC thinks that anyone who has an intellect and an opinion is a troublemaker. 
He says the opening line for NBC is sacred. It's a sacred trust because the show can't start until he says it. And he realizes he has a large corporation in the palm of his hand waiting for him to say the line. He teases saying the line, but he's only going to finish it when he's ready. And he's prepared a list of demands. And when those demands are met, he will say the line. Some of his demands are Belushi wants separate showers because Bill Murray doesn't like showering with the women. He wants beer for the whole crew. And his wife, Judy, wants tickets to the Ali Foreman fight. He says live from New York, it's Thursday night. Finally, Bob Van Rye, stage manager, gives Belushi a letter saying his demands will be met, followed by a list of contributions to the show that uh, NBC likes. As Belushi reads this list, he's tricked into saying live from New York. Um, One note, I I really enjoyed this. This was lots of fun. Belushi was on fire here. It's a clever idea, really smart. Uh, Only minor thing, and this is totally like your Star Trek nerd thing, is uh, Belushi says he's never said live from New York, but he actually did on the Ruth Gordon episode. I thought it was good. I thought it was funny. Kind of a smart little way to introduce this show. It was a little bit unique. I quite enjoyed it. It was pretty clever. Yeah, I like when they try to do something different. You know, sometimes I'm like, I hope they don't feel like they always have to do something weird and quirky now. You know, I just I want them to relax. But this this was fine. But I don't, you know, don't start trying to do this every time. Uh, but Belushi was obviously uh, the best person for this particular job. So we go to the intro. And this is the first time that Don Pardo announces the show as Saturday Night Live rather than Saturday Night. Kind of a momentous occasion, eh? That's pretty cool. Oddly enough, next week they'll go back to just being Saturday Night. We won't see this title again until next season. What's up with that, the go back? Part of me thinks they probably had it legally because they had to get it from from the uh, they had to get it from ABC and the Howard Cosell show who were yeah. using the title. I assume they thought they had it, but they needed to cross a T or dot an I. Okay. Or just somebody was smart enough to say, let's not change the name mid-season. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I could see a lot going into that. (laughs) We now go to the monologue. So Jack Burns comes out to home base and he says he's nervous because he's been in the home for retired comedy teams. He does a bit about uh, confessions and priests. And uh, uh, he talks about how in confessions, you know, he was always told and, and how he was told growing up never to touch himself. So Lorne, when he asked Jack to host, said he could get up there and do whatever he wants. So Burns is going to touch himself on live TV, and he starts tapping himself on the chest and the face. He gets really excited, doesn't know why he was never allowed to do that before. Rebecca, what do you think? I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it was sad, pathetic, and... I think he thought he was pushing the envelope, but even as his sweater looked like he was stepping out of the 1950s and not in the 70s where we are, uh, he seemed out of touch at a time, uh, at a place. It was dumb. I just did not enjoy it. Um, I didn't enjoy his voices for all his other characters he was talking about in his monologue. You know, he was the Irish priest and then he was another person and they all just sounded the same. No, didn't didn't like it. Didn't think it was funny. Uh, one bit. I certainly preferred it to Jack Burns actually touching himself on <laughs> Saturday Live. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no. Keith, for me, this crossed that necessary line. Yeah, it's absolutely not good. But it it, it was bad enough for me to be entertaining and strange. Just so like uncanny. Just so oddly unnatural almost alien. <laughs> I hated it, 
but I love this. I, I see what you're putting down. You're almost getting to like Tommy Wiseau room territory here. But he was like so hacky. <laughs> that sweater. And yeah. he just has that look and that haircut where he's like, he almost looks like a robot man and not a real man. Yeah, I want I want to reiterate that while I do not think it was good, I would smoke a big fat one and watch this again for sure. <laughs> His delivery is just so, I'm going to touch myself. And it's almost like it's so bad. I, maybe I do like it. I don't know. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. So our next sketch is the Coneheads meet the Farbers. And this is the return of two different sets of recurring characters. So we've got first off the Coneheads, of course, Dan, Jane, and Lorraine. And then we have uh, Gilda and John as Bobby and Larry Farber who uh, last appeared on the Chris Christopherson episode where it was revealed that she was Bobby McGee from Me and Bobby McGee. So the uh, Farbers are basically a typical upper middle class couple, and they've invited their neighbors, uh, the Coneheads, over for the evening. Uh, they get into the, uh, the the language, the reading, drinking the beer, uh, smoking a whole pack of cigarettes at once, uh, and they play Scrabble. Uh, I love reading the, uh, talking about Scrabble. It's the, 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 the Scrabble, 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 Scrabble. Uh, Gilda eventually rolls out a hairdryer, and this scares the Coneheads, and they all jump out the window. Dan does a full-on header. Jane takes a bit of a tumble. And at the end of the sketch, this actually is one of the rare times in the old show where it actually breaks up Gilda and John. Coneheads Meet the Farbers is classic Conehead one for me, and I, I absolutely love this sketch and everything about it. The little breakup at the end even makes it better for me. So uh, double thumbs up on this one. Yeah, me too, man. I loved it. I really popped when the Coneheads came in. I didn't. I wasn't expecting them. I didn't know where this was going when they entered through the door. Like probably gesticulated audibly at the television, uh, and it was just hilarious. Dan, I feel I know is good. Lorraine and Jane are so good. Jane cracks me up when because she, she can barely see her eyes, and uh, it's just so unnatural to see her doing this character. I, I love her flailing about. Shit, she just makes me laugh. They all make me laugh. This was a fantastic sketch. Them being unable to contain themselves at the window uh, was precious. <laughs> You're right. Two thumbs up. Love them. I'm being a 90s child. They still were popular then. Very fun to see kind of an early episode of them or an early skit of them, I guess. I didn't really know it was going to be the Coneheads either, but I did notice that Larry said that their last name was the Coens, which I thought was a really smart play on words um, for the Coens and the Coneheads. I thought it was great, funny, hilarious. Um, I loved the slip out of the window and the cast breaking up. I love when that happens. I just find it hilarious because I know if I was them on stage, I would definitely be breaking up when things go sideways. So I love the conehead. How about how Dan took that window? Totally. <laughs> he just he just missled himself right through it. Didn't he? <laughs> it was like it was like a Simpsons fucking cell moving from one frame to the other. Yeah, I think that's the first we've seen Belushi break up, and uh, yeah, it, it adds a little bit of humanity to the guy who we haven't seen much from. Certainly. The next bit is Santana's Black Magic Woman. So just a bit about Santana, where they were at at the time. They were around for a bit, especially the San Francisco area. Then they really skyrocketed when they were pretty prominently featured at Woodstock and uh, in the later movie Woodstock. So the first album, Santana, and the next two were called Abraxas and Santana 2, all in platinum. The most recent release was Amigos in 1976, and it peaked at number 10 in the U.S. Uh, also went to gold. Black Magic Woman is a mashup of a Fleetwood Mac song of the same name and uh, Gabor Szabo's Gypsy Queen. It was super popular, went to four on the U.S. charts. 
these folks are definitely, again, this is another one. The talent is apparent. Uh, I certainly like it better than the Fleetwood Mac version, but it's not the type of song that's going to stick with me. So uh, though I liked it, it's not my uh, not my wheelhouse at all. Yeah, Santana for me is um, is a very noble name um, in the music industry. Like, you know who Santana is. Black Magic Woman, I also knew that song. I enjoyed it. But the funny thing was for me watching was I was distracted because one of the drummers actually had on a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. <laughs> but that's where my wine went. Music was just in the background. It was background <laughs> noise. Distracted by Santana's, what I would call maybe an orgasm face while he's playing his little solos. I don't know why musicians do that. I find it weird and, and, and just <laughs> awkward watching them. And also so many drums. So many. If I was in the audience in the tiny little studio, I probably would have been like, okay, can this be over now? Because my head hurts. <laughs> um, but I don't like the music segments. You mean they, that you don't like that they exist on the show at all? Yeah, not really. Unless it's, I don't know, in my wheelhouse, like something I like. Well, isn't that a little bit unfair? I know it is, but that's just my opinion. So, of course, of course. Um, you know, we all like. So there things. may there may be music, but only if it meets your approval. Exactly. I'm usually the hardest on the music around here. Yeah. Oh, you got some competition. Uh, <laughs> and here I am sitting here like, <laughs> like Santana was really cool. <laughs> he was so in to his band the song is a cool classic it, you know what it reminded me a little bit of a frank zappa performance because you got your band leader there with the guitar and you can tell he's directing traffic with his looks and his gestures and it's there is harmony on the stage <laughs> And um, I don't know who that singer is, but he is uh, beautiful and he killed it. And it was such an ensemble performance. I loved it. And it was such a cool thing. That would have been such a cool thing to see live on late night TV. Anyway, thumbs up. I, I, I shit you not. This is one of my favorite musical performances so far on Saturday Night Live. Well, then you must have sat through some other doozies uh, if this is your favorite by far. <laughs> yes, Rebecca. Yes, I have. <laughs> Our next sketch is Marine Wedding. Dan Aykroyd is getting married to Jane Curtin, another Marine. And Jack Burns plays the chaplain who jumps in and out of drill and getting married. This just wasn't a great sketch for me at all. I agree. I thought it was flat. I did think Dan and Jane did a great job of kind of jumping back and forth between like the like Marine yelling part and then being like, oh, I'm happily married. You know, I'm a blushing bride, and but it was just a little bit weird, a little bit awkward. There wasn't much rhyme or reason to it, I guess. I I thought this was some funny shit. I'm just off it on this episode tonight, I guess. It's fine. When I saw where it was going, it, I mean, it was pretty obvious early what was going to happen. And then they did kind of keep doing the same joke. But the way they kept snapping their faces back and getting to see Jane yell and this strange man they have hosting. He's just not of this earth. He looks like it. And I, I still can't get over how, how he looks like a robot man and not a real man. This man is not a real man. He is a test host robot. I'm sure of it. I guess there, there's not much I can say other than I was into it. I liked uh, the yelling. I liked the little bits. And I, I really liked how they all marched out, <laughs> all bouncy-like. And it was just funny to see Jane do that because 
when I get to see Jane's been doing sillier stuff lately. And we've watched her for so long be so straight that she's really enchanting now when she gets to do this stuff. I can't take my eyes off it because I, you know, wanted it for so long. So we now go to a town without pity. Indira Gandhi, played by Lorraine. She's lost the election. John Belushi plays her son, Sanjay. And they really make a bunch of jokes about New Delhi, Old Delhi. They talk about how much they want to eat beef. They think their town is without pity, and they jump into Gene Pitney's song, Town Without Pity. Garrett comes in as the new Prime Minister of India. Then there's a big joke about the untouchables. Dan comes in as Elliot Ness, and he still has his three buddies, Lee, Rico, and Youngblood from last year's Desi Arnaz episode. Uh, Indira Gandhi won't leave without a, a sign from above, and we get the Dick Cavett cow drop from the ceiling thing. First off, Chili is going to be delighted that there was another Indira Gandhi sketch, and he wasn't there to watch it. There's a lot wrong with this sketch, but what jumped out at me here was how how great the chemistry was actually between Belushi and Lorraine, who we never see working together, really. Uh, yeah, not not a great sketch. I, I liked how they handled the song. You can't do this sketch today with white people. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I don't think Shouldn't have done be. it then. Putting that aside, and I guess, you know, one could argue, you can't put that aside, sir. And then continue analysis in uh, with a good sensibility. And I guess I would disagree with whatever pretentious prick suggested that. Still maintain that, yeah, they had good chemistry and Lorraine was really good. And I thought Belushi was pretty good too. You can still have a good performance uh, despite cultural insensitivity. The Elliot Ness thing really uh, got a good laugh out of me. But again, time out, time out. Yeah. To your point. This isn't funny. No, it's not good. Agreed. Definitely would not fly. Um, shouldn't have flown then. They did have good chemistry together. The cow dropping from the sky was a bit weird. I guess I'm one of those pretentious assholes. Well, uh, I mean, and I'll say you're not. There have been instances where people have said, nope, not talking about the rest of it. It was disgusting. Yeah. Now we have a Chiron. This person thinks sex is clean. We now go to update. And uh, Jane cozies up to a life-size cardboard cutout of Harry Reasoner. She's trying to console him about his relationship with Barbara Walters, and she invites him to join Update. She asks him if he's uh, heard of a few different sexual things, and then she makes him talk because his mouth moves, and he says, I'll think about it, Jane. So I'll just go through the first half. Uh, we have a picture of a, a gentleman who is the loser of the Jimmy Carter lookalike contest. They announce uh, Roman Polanski is going to do a version of Little Women. The committee investigating JFK and Martin Luther King's assassinations were assassinated. Two bulldogs, she reports to be Carl Malden and Ernest Borgnine. And then there's a bad joke about Dr. Renee Richards and uh, her sexual reassignment surgery. All things considered, this wasn't a great weekend update. I also thought it was weaker than usual, although I, I, I appreciate any good zinger on Roman Polanski. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. You know, the big life-size cutout and then the making him talk. I didn't expect him to make him talk, so that was kind of a nice little thing. But other than that, weekend update doesn't especially age well either. It was it was flat. It was not good. We then go to a commercial for the Leech Tab 100, and it's uh, Dan Aykroyd playing an old pharmacist named Mr. Wiggins. Gilda and Bill Murray come in looking for a cure for headaches. Dan gives them a leech. The Leech Tab 100 is live leeches that come uh, individually bottled. Murray puts the leech on his nose, and it might be a real leech or a live worm or something. This wasn't great, but I laughed. Yeah, I, I they definitely were live leeches, but it was kind of funny that it wouldn't you know, stick to his nose. He wasn't, he wasn't that hungry, I guess. So <laughs> it was okay. I giggled like a little, not much. 
No dice for me on this missed opportunity written all over it. You have an opportunity to make Dan Aykroyd some backwoods pharmacist and you blow it with these stupid leech jokes. Um, thumbs down. Next sketch is the squatters. Belushi, Murray, and Aykroyd play three men known as the squatters and their characters in an old TV western who are crossing the country to find a home, and Don Pardo does a lot of voiceover in this one. They get to a point in their travels, and they decide to move on. They call in the rest of their group. It's revealed that they're actually literal squatters who squash everything they do. So this is basically turns into a standard Western settlement story, and they don't ever stand up properly. It's another one of them all-hands-on-deck sketches. This is so friggin' ridiculous. I laughed through the whole thing. As soon as I saw what they meant by squatters, I was done. There was a bit in there with Gilda as a quote-unquote squaw. Again, dated stuff. But beyond that, uh, I got a real real kick out of this sketch. I also uh, found it quite funny. Um, you know, they were all crouching down, mapping out things on the ground, and then I, you know, all right, let's go. And then they just like... <laughs> Almost crawled off, and then they're dosy doing, and and everything is just their knees must have killed. Uh, again, the the squaw moment was bad taste. Um, even the runaway slave, bad taste. Didn't like it. They didn't need it. It was funny as it was. You could probably do that that same sketch, but with those two pieces removed and it would still be funny you know when the agent comes in to kick them off the land and he's standing and you can't even see past his waist it was really it was it was funny and then their little protest signs play on words was great yeah it was good laugh we're all over the place this episode i i'm not uh, i'm not into this the fuck is this they're bouncing around on their knees doing a western how is this so long i mean <laughs> I could barely watch it with a straight face and not because I was bursting out laughing. I was just, you know how I mentioned that that monologue crossed a line for me. Uh, that was a good thing. The good line. This one doesn't get there. I don't like I just didn't like the joke. Sometimes a joke can be like a song and sometimes somebody can like it and somebody cannot. And it doesn't make one person right and one person wrong. Uh, I actually enjoyed you guys reminiscing <laughs> about the sketch more than I actually enjoyed watching the sketch itself. Uh, when you were describing it and the, you know, the bouncing around on their knees, I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But when I was watching it, I didn't fucking laugh once. You guys are throwing me a curveball here. Because Matt, I thought you would have been on the floor in stitches. And I thought Rebecca would have been like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Why am I doing this show? <laughs> you know what it felt like to me? It felt like it almost it reminded me of an era to come. And I, I don't even remember exactly. But, you know, like around the turn of the, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, uh, I felt it was really like hammy and shitty um, before they they got their big refresh. So we now have a Chiron. This person came here to deliver a pizza. We now go to a sketch called The Suicide Letter, and uh, Jack Burns plays Mr. Ross, and he dictates his suicide letter to his uh, secretary, which is Lorraine Newman Sherry. Always nice to see Sherry. As he finishes his uh, letter, he goes to jump out the window, but Sherry reads it back to make sure she's done it well. This interrupts his jumping. Uh, after a bit, he tries to drown himself in his fish tank. Uh, Lorraine actually says the word pissed in this sketch, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> Burns, anyway, eventually jumps out the window, but he doesn't fall because the studio floor is even on both sides of the window. Lorraine breaks character and is angry with Jack for not ducking as he fell. The other actors scheduled to be in the sketch are unaware that the sketch is over and they continue to make their entrances. Belushi comes in as uh, Mr. Ross, uh, Jack's three o'clock appointment. 
He's really pissed off. He doesn't get to do his speech once he re- once he realizes that the sketch is over. Bill and Garrett come in as a pair of cops, and they're followed by Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin as reporters. And finally, Gilda comes in as a uh, as a screaming mistress. Uh, then finally, Neil Levy comes in as a Boy Scout with Ross's troop, and and the cast, just annoyed with Jack Burns, walks off the stage. Jack tells the audience he feels like crap because he worked really hard to get this, and he asks Dave Wilson to run the next Gary Weiss film, which is inspired by Rocky. This sketch, good idea, a bit too much on the meta side. Always good to see Sherry. I thought Gilda was hilarious as the mistress. Uh, Jack Burns did what he did, and he did it all right. I couldn't see really anyone else doing it much better than this, but uh, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't awesome. It wasn't good. Couple of little chuckles here and there. The note I have for this sketch is meh. <laughs> Literally, that is what I wrote. I wrote office suicide skit meh, and that's all. Nothing else. The whole meta thing did not work for me. Throwing it to the film was like a weird segue that didn't work either. You guys got to give him a little more credit. You see, he's not a real man. <laughs> so the sketch was too long. That was, and there was a, you know what? I say it was too long, but I think it's possible that my single sharpest laugh of the night was when, when Gilda ran in the room screeching. That was a really good laugh for me because she had bought into it and she was he was dead and I just saw him on the ground and they're all giving her that look. But, you know, I, I don't get that laugh. They haven't dragged the shit out of it before that a little bit. So um, is it worth it? Yeah, I, I, you know what? It was worth it for me. Uh, I give this sketch a thumbs up. <laughs> I don't know who you are tonight, Matt. I thought Lorraine was really good too, but I can't. I don't want to go without mentioning Lorraine. She was so good in character and out of character uh, as the ditz and then the frustrated actress. She's uh, she's so good. So we now go to a sketch or a film by Gary Weiss called Rocky. It's kind of a parody of uh, the Rocky training montages in the morning. Uh, Jack Burns plays the Rocky role. He does he does the Rocky thing where he drinks a raw egg. And he's dressed like Rocky and he runs through the streets. He makes it to the top of the stairs of the courthouse, I believe. And he's quite winded. Then we see the next day and uh, Burns does the egg thing a whole bunch of times. Then he's running again and it shows him punching a salami. He makes it to the top of the courthouse steps. He celebrates, freeze frames, and that's it. Um, other than him punching the salami, which I thought was funny, this was kind of dead for me. And I was like, please don't let this be it as he's celebrating at the top. and. Uh, like, I wanted to get hit by a bus or something, but no, it uh, there wasn't enough for it to even really be a parody more than sort of a reshot. Uh, didn't work for me. I thought it was a pretty weak Gary Weiss film. Uh, I, You know, I've mentioned before that I've learned to kind of uh, temper my expectation of direct laughter when I know a Gary Weiss film is coming on, because sometimes they're just not designed for that kind of reaction. And I've learned over the uh, repeated exposure to them to respect that. Uh, also can very much enjoy my favorite Gary Weiss film is Buck Henry in the toilet seat store. So I can appreciate, I do appreciate the use of the host in the Gary Weiss film. I think that's a cool thing to do. So it was a bit of a missed opportunity that the punching at the salami was good, but Otherwise, yeah, it just seemed weird. Almost like you were training him to be a real man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I'm on board with you guys. I did not like this. I also, with Keith, thought there's got to be something more, like something's going to happen that's going to make me laugh. Really nothing happened except a rocky workout, get ready for the fight montage. And it's almost at the end of the, the episode. Like, even if this was maybe played at the beginning, more closer to the beginning mm. of the episode, to be like, yeah, I'm getting ready to get back into this comedy kind of thing. You know, it would have made maybe a little more sense um, in in this in the night. But at, towards the end of the night, it was flat. Um, him running down the street, his punches, his like wrists were like in a weird position, and I just thought he looked ridiculous running and punching. And I said, my thought went to this guy's not going to, as they say, punch his way out of a wet paper bag. Mm. Uh, it just seemed really bad uh the only thing i did enjoy was at the end when they cut back to him on the uh host stage uh when he did the little crack of the egg with one hand you know yeah. cracking an egg with one hand is a kind of an impressive feat and then he gobbles that down again too much of the disgust of the uh, audience um i really am not enjoying this jack guy <laughs> <laughs> so go to chiron and this person wants to shout a dirty word we now go to ask big daddy and it's uh, Edie amin's version of ask president carter so Amin has uh, Bill Murray's Walter Cronkite tied up. And Amin wants to basically do what Carter did. So a couple of people just all call in asking about their family or their friends or their loved ones who are missing. And each time Amin says that the person died in a car accident. This is just a kind of a, a recurring joke of uh, the people that Amin was kidnapping and his regime were kidnapping and killing. There's not really a joke in here. I mean, perhaps the last person who called said a bunch of their friends were missing and it suddenly goes from a car crash to a bus crash. All things considered, I mean, I like Garrett's Amin. I like uh, Murray's Cronkite. But uh, yeah, man, this didn't work. I'm going to have to agree. Big missed opportunity for better jokes because I love the setup. Uh, the setup is great. Having <laughs> fucking, what do they call him? Big Daddy? Um, <laughs> sitting there and taking questions from his own people. There, That is so ripe for great jokes. There's great jokes there. I know it. They just didn't, they didn't write them. The characters were very well done. Um, they were the excellent, but again, the writing was not funny at all like you said really great potential with those characters and even that setting um and what they were even doing but the lines weren't there they just they didn't exist yeah jack burns introduces a home movie the movie's called uh, mirage and it features a man crawling up a sand dune and he sees a pop machine in the distance and he runs to it and he puts money in it and this is one of them old ones where the cup pops out and then the uh, pop pours into it but in this case, all the uh, all the drink pours out and then the cup comes out. So it's no good to him. I thought this was actually funny and quick, but it seems a lot like something I've seen elsewhere. Probably means somebody ripped this off because of my age bracket, but uh, it, it doesn't seem like that original of a joke. I thought it was fine, too. I feel like it was like a commercial. I feel like a soft drink used this like or, or this like set and setting. Yeah. For an ad, because yeah, it's familiar. As you say that, I, I'm thinking, yes, maybe it was some sort of commercial in like maybe the 80s or 90s. It did seem familiar, but and it was it was good. It was OK. I enjoyed it. I, you know, in the desert, you can get a drink and then the drink doesn't work. You know, should have been a Dr. Pepper ad. Maybe you wouldn't have died if you brought your Dr. Pepper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which, which would probably hasten death in the desert. Though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> probably, yeah. Get it over with. Have a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Our next sketch is called Pantygrams, and it's Dan Aykroyd as Ricardo Montalban. It's a a service where you can send special messages to people on uh, monogrammed underwear. So there's a clip of Gilda as an old lady who receives one from Garrett in delivery. It's from a doctor saying it's benign, so she's really excited. Bill Murray gets one from his mother-in-law, which is wishing him a happy birthday, so he calls her back, where it's implied they are in a relationship together. And then we go back to Gilda wearing her first <laughs> pantygram, and she gets another one saying that her sister is dead. I was watching this, and I remember reading in the uh, Live from New York book that Belushi and Aykroyd were getting a lot of women's underwear sent to them from fans. And uh, they actually, I think they started stapling them or tacking them to their walls. So I was wondering if this was inspired by that. I got a couple laughs out of this. Uh, Aykroyd's Montauban is funny, but uh, it wasn't great. But I, I mean, at this late in the night, it wasn't so bad. I agree. I got a few chuckles out of it. A little bit hokey. I enjoyed um, seeing her wear the pantygrams in the very next um, little uh, cut. Um, it would not. It was. It was getting towards the end of the night. I was also getting tired. (laughs) (laughs) As you do when you stay up late on a Saturday. Right? The props sucked. And I think that was the big problem for me with this sketch. Dan wasn't even holding them right half the time. So it was a little lazy in that department. I get that this, this was probably, in my opinion, a really good idea on paper. A good panty message is like, enter. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you can't put fucking phrases on it. Uh, maybe enter is not a good one. I felt on the spot and pressured. Exit on the back, I guess, right? Depending. Well, I guess maybe not. <laughs> um, what Whatever people do behind closed doors is their own business. Yes, indeed. We now go to Santana, and he's playing Europa. It's uh, this is considered to be one of his masterpieces. It's uh, instrumental. I really I enjoyed this again. I don't know if I preferred it to Black Magic Woman, but I, I liked it. And I agree. Uh, Santana is a very talented guitar player, very musical, very very good at what he does. Um, but what he does is not my cup of tea. Well, here I am. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was better than Performance One. I I was further reminded of Frank Zappa and how he performs with his ensemble. Carlos was incredibly in to what his musicians were doing. He was directing the band. He was egging them on. It was a brilliant performance, in my opinion. What do we got here? We got Patti Smith, Neil Sedaka, Boz Skaggs, Frank Zappa, of course, Santana. I mean, Desi Arnaz, too. I got to give credit to that Babalu performance. That was a legit musical performance. I'm adding Santana to the list. (laughs) He made the Um, list. Wow. He made the list of hot musical performances. That's kind of my list, too, now, but not Santana yet. Yeah, it. uh, this really did it for me. I thought it was fucking brilliant. Oh, there was this part where he's, he's holding that note on his guitar, and he's turned around, and he's taunting his drummers with his guitar oh i felt it <laughs> i i was so i was really into the whole thing well this is a nice change matt it is it feels good i want to like the music i don't like i, I don't shit on it every week to, just to be like contrarian or anything i wish i loved it every week i would love to sit here and be like that was awesome i mean you're, you're not rebecca who just wants to ban music from saturday <laughs> Live altogether. <laughs> no i like that there's Two songs. Two songs. Give me two songs. So now we go to the last sketch of the night. It's Gags Beasley. And Jane and Gilda are sitting at a table, and they're talking about the night show as if the show had ended. Burns comes in as a drunk, and he recognizes Gilda and Jane from Laugh-In. 
He says he was a comedy writer, but he drank so much he was uh, sort of drummed out of the business. And he starts yelling today about how kids can't write jokes and they write all this garbage. And he starts cracking jokes about Sinatra and Zoot Suits and the New Deal. And he asks them if he can be a writer on the show. And they leave him as he just sits there kind of wallowing in his own booze. This was a really strong sketch. It, it didn't give the laughs, but uh, this was really well done. Jack Burns does your typical old drunk the way they used to play drunk people in TV shows, which is always kind of stupid. But this is true to life. I was watching this thinking, is this how like Donald Glover saw Chevy Chase when they worked together? This was a good way to end it, but it wasn't uh, a funny ending. It wasn't an uplifting ending. It was just uh, this is what the old dog does before you take him out and shoot him in the back, right? I, I really I'm feeling Keith on this one. I really enjoyed it, but it didn't make me laugh. That sure as shit doesn't mean it's because it wasn't good. It's hard when you have a comedy show and what people start to look at as a comedy show to do stuff like this. And you know what? I think it takes a little bit of guts. So I appreciate when they try. And, you know, it sucks when they fail because when they fail, it really looks like shit. That's why you put this on last. This is an excellent uh, piece to have last in the night. I guess some could argue, well, shouldn't the last sketch maybe not be such a downer? I like when the last sketch is a downer. It should be the weird downer. Because that's, I mean, at the end of a Saturday night, you're not with your sweetheart and you're up late watching television. It just might be how you feel. As the only woman on the panel tonight, this hit me differently than I figured it would hit you guys. It was a sad skit. I will say this is the best acting that our, our, our good buddy uh, Jack has done all night. It's creepy. And reminds me of my younger days going out and having to be, you know, polite to the random drunk that would approach you and, you know, start by asking if you had a cigarette. What are you ladies doing tonight? You know, and you're trying to be like, hi, crazy person. I don't want to upset you because I don't know how you're going to act if I tell you to go away. It was definitely a creepy vibe. And I kind of got also the sense that this is an actual event that happened to these lovely actresses after a show one night. You know, they were probably just sitting around with the cast, shooting the shit, talking about how this night went. And then this random guy comes up to them and starts all this stuff. So I think this may have possibly been a true-to-life event for these ladies, and they thought they'd bring it into the show. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was a great way to end the show. It was a downer. I don't know. It felt somewhat weirdly personal, I guess, which is, I guess, not something you necessarily want from your comedy sketch night. It was a bit of a miss for me. It wasn't something I was expecting or, or, or what I want to get out of the, the end of the evening, especially. I would like to say that what an, what an interesting and fascinating perspective you just uh, put forth, Rebecca, and certainly not one that I think uh, Keith and I can ever relate to. Uh, on a personal level, geez, that's a, and I mean, that's a perspective that, that we can never share. And I, but I think it's a valuable one to project. Yeah. 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 And yeah, Rebecca as well. You said, you know, you expect that one night this happened. I would say this happened every, every <laughs> night after the show. Cause I, you know, also in my younger days, I did some theater and I did some, and I did a lot of dancing. So we would end up, you know, performing somewhere and you would get all these old people come up to you and be like, oh, what a lovely job. And they were mostly trying to be polite, but you'd always get this one person, one, sometimes it was an old lady, sometimes it was a man, and they would tell you something weird, like, 
you know, oh, my dead granddaughter used to do this. Or like they would just tell you weird shit that made you feel uncomfortable. (laughs) And you don't, especially as like a young woman, you're like, I don't know what to say to this. Like, how do I react? And I feel like the ladies in this sketch were very much like, oh, yeah, that's that's great. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You used to do comedy, too. eh? Oh, way back in the old day. Great. Like they just were trying to just get it over with, get the conversation over with. And I've done that so many times. True to life, but very weird. This is also not how you get a job writing comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if this was his comeback attempt, it definitely failed. (laughs) So uh, the good nights, but Burns is there with a bunch of flowers. Belushi again with that M sweater, and he blows a kiss and a wink to the young uh, young, uh, Marixa Lau, I think, the uh, young woman who had been battling cancer that he befriended. Um, nothing special beyond that from the good nights, though. Just a standard good night. I think even Jack Burns says good night, thank you, good night, as he was programmed to do. <laughs> uh, no, this was good. Okay, so let's get into our epilogue and our, our ratings and whatnot. So uh, the host, Jack Burns, he was all in. It didn't always work for me. Uh, I don't know if he had, had put his hand in as a writer or if he was just there as a uh, as a performer. It was very Waka Waka stuff, presentation, didn't always work on the show, didn't really work on the show. But yet I can't say he was bad. I think it was kind of an inefficient merge of of styles is is maybe what it was. I'm not putting this all on Burns. The writers wrote stuff that I don't know if they thought this would work for him or what, but it was some pretty weak stuff with some boring characters. And and a lot of the time I found he was just kind of in the sketch, neither as the straight man or the, the kind of funny man. It was just kind of everybody was the funny man and everyone was the straight person. This was kind of out of time and sync for where the show has kind of evolved over the last little while. I, I don't know if I can put that on Burns's his shoulders, though. Burns, bless his little heart. I think he tried. <laughs> um, but... I just did not find him very entertaining. I think he even may have more chops as a kind of dramatic actor than maybe a necessarily comedic one. He didn't work for me. And I think they tried, the writers, and he probably tried to use some of his own history to help him through the night. Like, I believe I read somewhere that he was in the Marines or the military of some sort in his early days. So, you know, going back to the Married Marines skit. Um, you know, talking with the drunk, you know, washed up comedic writer at the end there. So I think there was a lot of it that was somewhat, in a way, catered to him, but it didn't work. What what a strange, fascinating alien man to this world, or something of a man. Whatever he may be, uh, I certainly won't forget him. Uh, I, I can't say that this was a dreadful host for me, because I found looking at him fascinating. Uh, I found his mannerisms strange. He should have maybe been some weird Uncle Conehead. It was not good. Let me be clear. It was not good. But I enjoyed his bizarre presence, and I think it crossed that line into this surreal, uncanny territory where it's like you're almost... (laughs) I'm sorry. It's like you're almost not watching a real man. (laughs) So the music, uh, Santana, definitely a legend. Both songs were very well done. 
I don't think this performance is going to stick in my head is the is the big thing here uh, for good or for bad. It has nothing to do with anything other than my own personal taste and what I look for in a performance. I can't sit here and say Carlos Santana and the band Santana are shit because that's simply not the case. I'm right on board with you there, Keith. I agree. Like I said earlier, Santana is not really my thing. Is he super talented? Yes. Was the singer that sang Black Magic Woman great? Yes, he was a great singer. But it just was not not my musical tastes. That's all. I think it is what it is. Very good, very talented, all of them. The songs were generally good sounding songs. Like they don't they, they were bad, but they're just not my style. And you know, that's fair. That's happened to me on this show where I'm like, Yeah, that was good. But I didn't like it. You know, that shit happens. Don't get me wrong. Saturday Night Live gets the music wrong a lot. It can be very challenging to enjoy the music. Uh, So whenever we get something like this, that is a little out of the ordinary for the show, because it's definitely out of the ordinary for the show. This this was a breath of fresh air to me. I, I really enjoyed it. Santana, of course, uh, remains one of the world's highest regarded guitarists, uh, inspiration and trailblazer, especially in the area of uh, like Latin, uh, Latin inspired sound fused in with other stuff. He's always been busy. He's always been popular. Um, certainly hit a new plateau in 99, 2000 when Smooth and Maria Maria came out. What an interesting guy. And, and I'm glad he's still at it, really. You know, you said it's Smooth and Maria Maria. They always get the bump. But uh, don't sleep on Game of Love with Michelle Branch. It's a great pop hit. So uh, here we go to the fun stuff. What was your worst sketch of the night? Mine is those fucking squatters. This was way too long for just the joke of them bouncing around on their knees. They don't know that it's going to remind me of late 80s Saturday Night Live. That's insane. But it really felt like something from that era, like some hammy, stupid shit idea that, yeah, we'll just bounce around on our knees and make a lot of like squat joke. Uh, I just, I really hated it. There wasn't much good. (laughs) I'll say um, picking my worst is a little difficult. I obviously did not like the last sketch with the drunk. Big Daddy was okay. Suicide sketch was meh. It's hard to really pick a worst one. I think I'm just going to have to go with the office suicide skit. Like I said, I just wrote meh. And, and that's fair. I mean, sometimes bad is better than meh. The worst sketch to date as far as execution is still the Buck County dance party. And I laugh at that in my head all the time. For me, the worst was uh, Ask Big Daddy. Um, there was a lot of stuff that could have gone there. Rebecca hit that nail on the head. But there was also a lot of things that Ask Big Daddy could have done to make the sketch a lot better. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely going with uh, with that one, despite the fact that both Garrett and Murray were, were both quite good in their characters. So what was your best of the night? I think my overall best sketch is going to have to be the Coneheads. I really enjoy the performances of Dan, Jane, and Lorraine. It's just fascinating to watch them do this. If I'm not mistaken, like I, every, this is now making it official that every time the Coneheads have been on, I think it's been my favorite. I just really think it's funny. And there's something about Jane's eyes that makes me laugh. It's like, how do you, how do you, how do I describe why red is my favorite color? I just like it. I also really enjoy the Coneheads. It's, they're such a classic. And like you said, Jane, I don't know what it is. I didn't know if it was a one-time thing where like her cone was like (laughs) 
plastered on her head really, really low. I'm surprised. That's probably maybe the reason she slipped because she couldn't see what the hell she was doing. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was funny, you know, them scanning the, the uh, instructions for playing Scrabble. It was great. Um, right. Their, their eating of the food. And then Belushi also mimicking <laughs> their eating of the food. I thought was really funny. He was like, oh, this is the way they eat their food in their culture. I'm going to make them feel comfortable. I'm going to eat like them. Oh, my God. I forgot that. That's so good. The Coneheads was by far, I think, the highlight of the evening. I'm kind of sad it was early on in the evening because I would have rather end on a high note instead of the sad note that we did believe on. Uh, so we're three for three. The Coneheads for me, uh, this is, uh, you know, when I think of the Conehead sketches, uh, uh, this is my second favorite of, of all the Conehead sketches. And uh, we'll, we'll get to my favorite at some point and hopefully it holds up. But I also, I mean, I love the Farbers too. Like when they did the bit with Chris Christopherson where she was Bobby McGee. Yeah, I just, I'm a big fan of these characters. And incidentally, the Coneheads always go on early because of the makeup. It takes so long to put it on. Yeah, they're always towards the top of the show. Oh, that makes sense. So who was your star of the night? Jack Burns. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Don't joke. Matt hasn't gone yet. I I really enjoyed Jane, I think, tonight. I think she did a really fantastic job. This was more of a, uh, this was a more difficult decision than I anticipated. Uh, I also really enjoyed Jane Curtin this evening. She's, uh, she doesn't get her, uh, the due credit for making the Coneheads as hilarious as they are. And I thought she was really good in that fucking marine marriage sketch uh, with the glasses and when she she was stamping out it was so good i thought she handled the bad jokes well in weekend update that's a weird thing to say and and i understand they go well how you can't point out a bad sketch for a good performer Uh -uh. yes you can yeah i think that the way that she handled herself and the way she handles her mistakes in weekend update is an absolute credit to her she was uh she was my favorite of the night again just for the record not that it's official not that it's going in the excel file i almost picked john belushi interesting because i did pick john belushi yeah again i don't know what it is but the last little while belushi's been hitting on all cylinders for me he's he's in a zone here where it's the perfect note between overdoing it and and being subtle he's found a really nice spot in the middle so yeah, I, I I have no qualms about picking Belushi, despite the fact that a few others did some good work tonight too. So overall, this is slightly below average as an episode for me. There were some high points, Coneheads, the opening. Uh, I, I I thought the Squatters was hilarious, but a lot of the uh, a lot of the rest of the stuff fell pretty short of the mark for me. Burns didn't work as well as I would have liked. And the music, though really good, just didn't do it for me. I wound up just giving this one a 5 out of 10. For me, being the first time on here, um, I really don't have a gauge uh, to really go by. But it did have some high points. For the most part, it was ho-hum. I think if I have to give it a star rating um, to go on nothing else, I would probably say 3.5. That's savage, Rebecca. That's savage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give this... A six out of ten, <laughs> because I thought the host was a fascinating presence. There were some really good sketches. I thought the music was lit. I uh, I really appreciated some ambition. There was ambition here and there. The The last sketch of the night was the writer's sketch as it should be. The cold open was cool. The host, fucking bizarre. 
And there was enough in between propping it up. I mean, six isn't a great score. It's not a great episode. I've given a nine, just the one. But it kept me entertained. I was never bored during this episode. Well, you know what? I was bored once during that fucking squatter sketch. Otherwise, I, I was pretty into it the, all, all the way through because it was n- not always funny, but it definitely held my attention. I'm comfortable with my six. So with my five, Matt's Matt's six and Rebecca's uh, slashing 3.5, this episode gets a 4.8 from us. Slashing. I know. Uh, IMDb gave it a 7.1, which is ridiculously generous. It's ranked uh, 15 of 22 of the season and uh, 280 up to this point in time. Yeah, uh, I mean, 15 out of 22 is, is about reasonable where I'd put it, but 280? There's like 700 episodes worse than this one out there, Matt. No, there's not. No, there can't be. <laughs> that math doesn't work for me, boss. We've already seen a few, apparently. Well, we've definitely seen worse than this, my goodness. Oh, I'm sure there is worse than this, but this was bad. If this is where it says it is on that scale, you would think <laughs> SNL would be dead by now. <laughs> this was just... So yeah, that's uh, that's it for tonight. Uh, we, we had fun talking about an episode we didn't all thoroughly enjoy but it definitely had its high points rebecca thank you for joining us for the first time this was a lot of fun thank you for having me guys it's uh, it has been fun uh i will say it was a bit uh, nervous but uh, you guys were welcoming and and i had i had a good time chatting about it and and uh, definitely hearing our uh, opposite opinions Matt. I'm, I'm surprised we are so very opposite on quite a few things rebecca i hope you can do this again you've been one of my favorite guest hosts and i definitely do not say that to all the guest hosts well thank you well we'll get you back for season three all right sounds good sweet matt next week do you know who our host and our musical guests are i I do not know big guy lay it on me next week we have julian bond he was a a legislator from georgia are you fucking kidding is this a politician i am not fucking kidding no (laughs) is there a politician hosting next week yes there is yeah who's the musical guest tom waits and who is our third chair actually brick is also uh uh, a musical guest. The wait, the, excuse me. There are two musical guests next week. Yes, they do. They do one musical segment each. I will need to call my drug dealer. Um, <laughs> who's uh, who's our third? I'm not 100 percent sure yet. It's uh, either going to be Mark or Chili, though. Oh, fascinating. They only gave Tom Waits one song. I'm a little mad already, but I'm open minded. Yeah. So yeah, Matt and I will be back in about a week, but until then, we'll be sitting there with our robo-host playing a good old game of Scrabble, 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 here in S and Hell. Uh, that's, that's good shit. <laughs> <laughs>